1: You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat but are never filled. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but are not warm. Those who earn wages end up with holes in their money-bags. Haggai, chapter one, verse six. What does this sound like? Futility? No matter what I do, nothing goes right. My life's a series of empty work. I'm running around like a chicken with his head cut off. No direction, no fruit, no focus. Here the Lord is talking to the prophet Haggai about his chosen people, the Israelites. The theme is familiar. Come to the Lord for lasting and fulfilling nourishment. The hole in my life that keeps me looking for things to fill it up is aching for God. I keep being drawn back to these similar verses about how earthly things will not satisfy me. This time the Lord is reprimanding his people, who've just got off the bus after 70 years of exile in Babylon, in their ransacked and flattened city, Jerusalem. The temple, their place of worship, has been totally destroyed. Let's see if we can recognize in ourselves the reaction the returning chosen nation had as they disembarked in their holy city. They looked after themselves first. They bustled around, building houses, tending to their flocks and herds, planting their crops, vineyards and olive groves. According to the Lord, they lived in richly panelled houses, while the temple lay in ruins. He was angry So even after 70 years of atonement for disobeying their God, they returned home with the same mindset, me, me, me. No wonder God held back the rain. And if they weren't happy before, they definitely weren't happy now. But God had their attention, wham, right in the belly and the purse where it hurts the most. Put God first. How often do we have to be reminded of this simple fact? Without him, we wouldn't be. Seek ye first the kingdom. Don't put yourself before the Lord. It won't make you happy. I promise. Hello. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm here to dispel the preconceived ideas many have about what educating our children at home looks like. For some, it's straightforward school. For me, it suited the maverick that lurked within when I decided I didn't want to miss anything my children were doing by handing them over to folk who weren't their mother, so we mixed it up and shared our time between books and play. Either way I look at it, it's all learning. Over the years, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers and fathers from the secular to the missionary, the academic to the child-led. For us, schooling becomes a suffix for home, boat, biking and the world. You name it, we can find education and value anywhere. In my personal journey, I've used the tools God gave me to live my life fully. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. Children will do that for you, gaining insights and delights along the way, which I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes frustrating, but for me, it starts and ends with God, the beauty of his creation, silence, a starry night sky, a rousing piece of music, or a simple hug. If you pop by, I'll offer you a glass of sparkling water and a banana off the tree to tickle your taste buds. And thank you for staying. But I understand if I don't see you, you're on that side. And I'm here broadcasting from Turkey Creek in Florida. After the first break, I'll be talking to Stephanie Langford once more, founder of the website Keeper of the Home, a blog magazine about nutrition and greener lifestyle choices. We'll be on about her year of travel with the family. So stay tuned to be inspired by this delightful mum. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNennies, where we're enjoying Florida and the dogs. And I'm thinking about nationalised education and learning about herbs. Are you ready? A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Mike Donnelly, a lawyer with HSLDA, and the subject of Common Core came up. Mike called it nationalised education, and although it may not directly affect homeschoolers, we were both in agreement that our task as good citizens and responsible members of God's world was to make sure we took an active interest in what was going on in schools, colleges and the workplace, because all the children, not only the 4% who homeschool, are our future, and we want the very best for those who are going to be our progeny's contemporaries. The word nationalised smacked of the school system in England. Education for all was not originally supported by the upper classes because they didn't want to educate the working classes in case they became dissatisfied with their lot. The working classes didn't have any real interest in education either as families were unwilling to give up their children's wages to send them to school instead of off to the factory floor. In the 1800s, certain restrictions were imposed on child labour. The number of hours children could work were reduced, and the government saw that there had to be an alternative to having the children on the streets while their parents were at their jobs. Thus was born the Education Act of 1870, which established elementary schools nationwide to teach children from the ages of 5 to 13. As an aside, the Education Act gave instructions about how the school day should begin, with collective worship on the part of all pupils in attendance. Today, there are 36,500 state schools in Great Britain, providing an education to more than 90% of the students in the UK. State schools are publicly funded and are required to follow a national curriculum. Sound like Common Core? The government is currently reviewing this curriculum, exploring ways to slim it down. You can go on to the gov.uk pages online to read more. As Mike Donnelly and I agree, do we really want our government mandating what our children learn? Furthermore, do we really want our government mandating what our children don't need to learn? And my blue-eyed cowboy and I were talking about solutions to this education crisis as we walked yesterday and agreed that incentives for homeschoolers like tax breaks and credits would make sense and perhaps encourage more families to choose this option. I know I'm not financially recognised by the government for taking responsibility for and homeschooling my own. If anything, I'm frowned upon for taking away income from the school's bottom lines. John Holt believed that schools took all the joy out of learning for children, and he was right. Listen to my teacher daughter. She believes in play, play and more play for her young ones, not lesson plans and organised activities for two and three year olds. And it's time for me to go on my first break, but first let me introduce you to my guest this week, Stephanie Langford, whom I last spoke to while she was in China at the beginning of the year. Stephanie is the blessed wife to Ryan, mum and homeschooler of her four favourite little people, and has just spent the last year travelling and hack schooling on a monumental journey around the world to almost 30 countries in 12 months. Her blog, Keeper of the Home, inspires and educates women on the topics of nutrition, natural homemaking greener lifestyle choices and frugal simple living all from a distinctively christian worldview i'll be back in just a moment with stephanie langford so don't go
0: far how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian mcninney the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these Mark Lipinski is coming to TogiNet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 Central on TogiNet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan River Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian (laughs) Mcnenny.
1: Stephanie, welcome back to my show and welcome back to Canada. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Well, good. How long have you been back?
2: Oh, let's see. Um, About three months now.
1: Yeah. End of January was when you? Uh, Early February. Early February. Okay. And when I last spoke to you, we spoke from China. Right. And that was very impressive. And again, it was an (laughs) ungodly hour. I think you were getting ready. It was like midnight or something for you. It was. So you did a a grand job there. And (laughs) I, I read something... Recently, about what you were saying about China and the air pollution there. And I was absolutely amazed yeah. because I wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have expected to have been able to see with that kind of pollution. But it was quite clear, except when you got up high, I suppose. Where Where did you see the pollution most?
2: Um, you know, we could see, we could really see it everywhere, but it was always just kind of like this, this haze. You could see through it, but, um, Things weren't quite as clear or everything looked just a little bit kind of smoky or discolored or something. But it it was really, uh, there was a few places um, down south in the country, uh, like the countryside, Mm -hmm. where you couldn't see the pollution so well. But really everywhere up in the cities, you could see it quite a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. And was it one of those where when you blew your nose, you could it was black?
2: Um, no, it wasn't that bad. But you okay. know what, maybe it is um, some days because there are definitely days that are worse mm-hmm. than others. But um, you could sometimes feel it when yeah. you took a deep breath.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and that's mainly from their industry, their cars. Right. Yeah. Um, I, the industry, um,
2: you know, their manufacturing sector yeah. is enormous mm. and it's just grown so tremendously. And I, there haven't been enough... Um, you know, rules and guidelines um, yeah. in regards to what that's supposed to look like. And so unfortunately, when you don't have good policies in place, what you get is um, a lot of pollution.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we just take it for granted here. And we, we yeah. panic when we have those orange days and those alert days, you know, don't don't go out, but nothing compared to China. Oh,
2: I mean, those numbers for us are not even close to what they're dealing with in China. Yeah, on a good day. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Stephanie, you spent a year traveling with your family fifty four weeks. I think you said you were away, yeah, it was about that, yeah, and you 're back now, so tell me what 's it like being back after traveling all that time?
2: It is strange and good at the same time mm-hmm. um, it's been It's been really nice to come home in some ways because. One thing that's very difficult to do while traveling for an extended period of time, particularly with kids, is that you can't create a sense of routine. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that we were all really craving by the end of the year, was just some some regularity to our lives, some consistency. Mm -hmm. So when we got home, we were like, oh, we want to make a daily schedule. We want to do things more routine. Mm -hmm. And that's been really really good for us I think it's something that we all need and something that kids crave in particular kids like to know what to expect and so that was a difficult part of traveling for them was just the unexpected everything was always changing but on the you know the other part of coming home is that we miss some of that uh, family togetherness and the bonding and the special memories that we were making all the time I mean we were Every every week we were finding something really new and different to do. There were always new experiences and occasionally that's overwhelming because you're bombarded by new things, but mostly it's really exciting. And you know, now we're we're having to be more intentional to spend time together as a family and to seek out um, you know, fun experiences and ways to make memories together. And when you're traveling, you don't have to be so intentional about it because it sort of just
1: happens. Mm.
2: But mm. when you're home, it's something that you have to choose to do. You have to do it on purpose.
1: Mm. And but you're homeschooling. It's not as if the three children are going off to school every day. So you're with them right. most of the time. Does your husband work from home as well?
2: He does. And so we share um, some duties with the homeschool and the home, and then uh, take turns. Being in our home office, mm-hmm. so that's really nice. We're both able to spend extra time with them homeschooling, and we, you know, we like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what kind, What What are you talking about when you say spending time together as a family? Because it sounds to me as though you're together as a family <laughs> all the time. So, we what are. What, are you, what defines being together as a family for you? It's not that we're not
2: together as a family. It's just that. When we were on our trip, we were, we were doing a lot of, um, really interesting, meaningful things together. And it can be easy in the day to day of life to just sort of go through the motions and you get up and you eat breakfast and you clean it up and you do school and then you do lunch and then you do some chores and then you have playtime and, um, You know, it's, I think it's part of why people create bucket lists. And now that it's summer in, on Pinterest, you see all these lists for people of summer activities and people are making goals of, well, these are the things we want to do this summer. It's not that you don't spend time together in your daily lives. It's just that if you want to do something really special together, you want to go on a camping trip, you want to have a bonfire, you want to go for a hike or go have a picnic by the river, then you have to make that, make that happen. And, And not that those times are necessarily more special than all of the regular time we spend day to day, but I don't know. There is something different. different. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: And and you've got the... But I know you worked, though, while you were traveling still. You worked some... I don't know whether you worked as much as you do. We couldn't work
2: as much. It was a little bit difficult just because of the time zones Mm -hmm. and we couldn't always have reliable internet, Mm -hmm. but... We definitely did work on the road and we had we had seasons during our trip where we worked really heavily and then times where we would try to do a little bit less. Mm
1: -hmm. So it it sounds like when you're at home and in a routine and you've got your familiar things around you and your surroundings, that that takes priority over maybe not having all of that. um, Well, I don't know. Material possessions perhaps or the comfort zone of being in your home with the four walls. You just kind of feel as though you want to get away from that in order to be able to experience time together because the other stuff is a burden or an anchor. So maybe when you're not tied down to one place, you don't have that ultimate responsibility of this is my... I don't know. I've got to pay my mortgage. I've got to pay these bills. I've got to do that. When you were on your road, the road, you didn't have those kinds of things to worry about.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. Um, there was less responsibility for us. We were still working, and we were still homeschooling, and of course, we still had to eat and have clean clothes to wear. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, you're right. There wasn't the same, you know, caring. For a house, or you know, now that we've bought a house, we're doing landscaping. We've been doing renovations, mm-hmm. and there are just projects that need to be done, maintenance that needs to happen, and um, I, I don't know. I guess those kind of things just can get in the way of other things you want to do. And it's not that they're not good or necessary, yeah,
1: um, yeah. but
2: traveling really, really freed us up. We just had so much less to worry about. I suppose that it really freed us up to. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, to do things together. Let's move on. Let's talk about where your travel bug came from. Why did you decide to do this year away?
2: Oh, it's a big question. Um, There were a lot of different reasons. One is that we could. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe that seems like a weird reason to do it. But um, we knew that we, we were capable of turning our, our businesses into something that we could do on the road we could make ourselves location independent mm-hmm. and you know we we're realistic enough as as business people to understand that um businesses change and come and go and what what works for us now in the season might not work for us five or ten years down the road mm-hmm. and so we thought that we needed to take advantage of the opportunity that we had to travel while we could do it, and it's not to say that we don't want to travel again later down the road when our kids are older, because we do, Mm -hmm. but we just thought that, you know, carpe diem, carpe diem, we really should just seize the moment while we could. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, we, it was really partly about um, the extended family time together, because Mm -hmm. we'd been working so hard on our businesses Mm -hmm. for five years before we left, that um, we felt like we really needed to pour into our relationship with our kids and just really have some extra bonding time. Um, that was important to us. And also, as homeschoolers, um, you know, you really can't get any better education than, than travel. To, it's one thing to read about something in a book or to watch a video on YouTube, but it's completely another thing to actually walk in that place and, um, you know, to, to be uh, where the you know the stories the historical events took place um, mm-hmm. it's really amazing thing, and that was something that we really wanted for our kids
1: mm. did you see extreme poverty and what was it like
2: yeah we we absolutely did um, we spent um, quite a bit of time in developing countries mm-hmm. um, we were in Africa and India um, Southeast Asia um, some places like that and um, you know, one thing that we were able to do was to go and visit our um, our sponsor child through Compassion International. She lives in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. And that was a really, um, really interesting experience for our children, I think, because she lives in what is actually a brand new to them. You know, really nice house in the sense that they didn't even you know, they had nothing before and Compassion came along and helped them to um, build a house and that house that was built for them that you know is such a big deal it's really just um, it's just um, a mud you know it's not a mud hut it's a little bit nicer than that but it's really a very small home um, made mostly of wood and mud and you know it has a roof on it and it has four small rooms that um, you know all kind of join together and and that's it they had very little uh furniture in the home and it was you know on the side of a hill um, where people just try to grow crops um, as well as they can you know near their house and it was very simplistic you could see that when the heavy rains would come they would have a lot of issues with um, mud and landslides being on this hill it was a very long walk down the road to get there and you can imagine um, these kids having to trudge up this you know, large, um, muddy hill mm. to get anywhere um, carrying any kind of groceries or firewood or whatever they need. So um, being able to go there and experience that with Rosine and her mother, that was, I think, very impressionable yeah. for our children yeah. to to understand that this was a child who was being helped, who had received something good, and yeah. and this is still, you know, what it was in comparison to you know, are modest, but, you know, very nice um, home in a, you know, in a suburb, 2,500 square feet. I mean, it's just so different. We can't even compare it.
1: That's right. And no running water or electricity?
2: No, no, of course
1: not. No. And because I'm I'm imagining, you know, our brand new, even the HUD homes that we build here have got equipped kitchen, a bathroom with a bathtub and a sink and a toilet. I mean, that would be standard. And you're talking about just four rooms that would just more than anything else be shelters, you know, some, something to keep the elements off this family and maybe perhaps yeah. keep them a little bit safer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But we saw so many people who didn't even even have that. I mean, um, in you know, in a lot of the cities, we spent time in places like Nairobi and Kampala and, um, you know, in India um, – there's there's so many people that are really just living on the streets Um, they don't even have any kind of shelter at all Um, a lot of people who have been um, you know seriously injured through illness or accidents and they they really just have to beg for a living because they don't have welfare they don't have disability like we have here and so their only option really is to rely on the kindness of other people
1: Mm -hmm. I know makes us realize just how fortunate we are we can complain about our countries but if you travel and go and see what's going on in the world, you know, really. <laughs> yeah. No, it it gives you a lot of perspective. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you talked about the church. Did you manage to visit many churches? And how is the Christian faith expressed in these other countries? How did how did you find it?
2: Um, it one thing that was difficult for us was being able to. Not to find churches, we could find churches, but it was challenging for us to um, to sometimes attend a church because of the language barriers. Mm-hmm. so um, so that was a struggle for us. We did try to go to church as often as we could, but um, it was something that we didn't really think about or anticipate when we were preparing for our travels. just how hard it would be to even you know be able to speak to people. In a language, you know, that we don't speak, (laughs) um, to find a church to attend it and to understand. So, so that was a little bit harder than we anticipated. But, um, but definitely, um, I mean, the church is very, very active all, all over the world. And there's so many different, um, different expressions of it that I think that's one thing that we saw is that the way that people live out their faith looks differently um, all over the world. And yet, um, it's very meaningful and sincere, Mm -hmm. um, for those people. And so I think that that was a good thing for us to see is just, um, the differences, their churches don't look like a North American church, the way they run the service, the way that they, they do worship or the way that, um, the things that they talk about in a sermon or, um, you know, different liturgical practices or whatever, but, Mm -hmm. um, but just seeing the diversity Um, and yet we all still are worshiping the same God. Um, I think that that was, um, a meaningful lesson for us. And also just the simplicity, um, of the buildings and the programs, um, things like that in other countries. Um, the church in North America is very, um, program centric
0: Mm -hmm. and,
2: um, you know, and in many other places in the world too. Um, but it's, It can be very much about um, having the right building and the right worship band and, um, you know, certain programs during the week. And that's not necessarily the case in a lot of other churches. Uh, They don't have money uh, to have a very big or very nice building. Sometimes it's very simplistic. It might even be, you know, an outdoor uh, tent, or it could just be a small room, um, a part of somebody's home, or anything that they can get their hands on. I mean, we went to this one church in northern Argentina. It was... A small a small room in um, a family's home that you know they just brought some folding chairs into and it had dirt floors and the the power went out frequently and um, there wasn't a bathroom and things like that but you know they were there and they were worshiping together and um, sharing in one another, one another's lives and so it didn't really matter where they were.
1: Mm-hmm. You you talking? You said that church didn't have a bathroom and it it made me think about. London. When we travelled, when we went back to London, when I had young children, that was always the hardest thing. Was <laughs> if one of the children said, especially if they're you know sort of newly potty trained, mm-hmm. um, I need to go. I need to go to the bathroom. And my instinct always is got to find something right now. There's not kind of, well, you need to hold it for about 30 minutes till we can find you somewhere. (coughs) And um, that was so difficult. I mean, it still is in London. It hasn't changed. You just have to know your places. So I can't imagine what what it was like in some of those countries that you were in when something like that happened? I mean, what did you do? I know this is a very basic question, but I mean, we all need to pee. <laughs> so. No, it's it's true.
2: Um, sometimes it was really hard to find anything. And really what happens is your standards just completely go down the tube and you you take whatever you can get. Yeah. Um, so I wrote, I wrote a post on Facebook while we were Could in you, India, yeah. just about how our, our standards for toilets had changed. Yeah. And pretty much if there was a place to go and maybe it had some kind of um, door, curtain, or, you know, it wasn't quite in front of other people, then wow, like that was pretty great. We were in business. And, um, you know, toilet paper, running water, flushing, um, a clean floor, those things didn't happen a lot of the time. And and you know what, that's hard with kids. I mean, our four-year-old, there were times where she would she would throw a bit of a fit, um, about having to go and, um, she calls them the squatty potties. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was really hard for her. It was just, you know, at four years old, you don't really understand why you're used to something different. And, um, she was kind of scared of them and afraid of touching something. And I understand that's difficult. So, yeah, we had to we had to work through those things and try to just be patient. And we had to always be very vigilant about, you know, whenever we were somewhere clean and we did find a bathroom, okay, well, everybody is going, we are yes. not leaving here until
1: you all go. Because we have to use this while we have it. That's right. That's right. And so I can imagine you took little your bottles of sanitation stuff and... Yes. Yeah, everywhere <laughs> I with carried you.
2: wipes in my diaper bag. Yeah. I had my little Um, Yeah, hand
1: sanitizer spray. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, Stephanie, we have to go on a a really short break, but um, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now, back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
1: Well, Stephanie, while you were out traveling, I know that everything had to be simplified. You obviously did not have the extensive wardrobe or possessions um, things like, I don't know, soap or shampoo at your fingertips and, and all of that, your home comforts, wherever you went. Well, how did you do that? How did you simplify? And how are you going to be able to maintain that? Because I, I'm reading that perhaps you want to try and keep your life simplified and, you know, not go back to the old habits of adding, adding, adding. So tell us a little bit about that and how you're going to maintain it now that you're not traveling anymore? Well,
2: you're right. We did have to be very simple on the trip. We traveled with backpacks, and so each child had a backpack that they could appropriately wear that was not too big for them, and that was what they were able to bring, whatever fit in that backpack Mm -hmm. and same goes for my husband and I, and not only did we have to carry our own things, but we were carrying things for the baby. Mm -hmm. We were carrying, you know, bathroom products and a medicine kit and all sorts of things. So, um, so really, um, it was a good practice for us. I think being limited Mm -hmm. by our bags, if Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit, you can't bring it with you. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that that forces you to really consider, all right, what's essential? What do I actually need? And what can I live without? Mm -hmm. And and I enjoyed that we when you have so much less, there's just there's less to worry about, less to um, to take care of, uh, less mess to be made, although we still managed to make a mess in plenty of, you know, apartments and hotel rooms that we stayed in. But but there's something good about not having um, so many choices of things. And um, I think coming home. First of all, before we left, we did a lot of decluttering, like a lot. We, you know, we had a garage sale. We went through our house over and over again. We gave things away. We sold them. We took things to the dump. We really tried to pare down. And yet coming home, when we started to unpack all of our stuff and move into our house, I was shocked by how mm-hmm. much we have because I thought before we went that we had gotten rid of everything mm-hmm. that we'd already done that work. Mm-hmm. And then after a year of living with so little, I realized <sighs> oh my goodness, we still have so much, Mm -hmm. so much that we don't need and don't want. Mm. So that's our challenge now. We've moved into a house um, about a month and a half ago or two months ago, and we are trying to gradually go through everything and set up the rooms of our house, but with only the things that we really love and that we really need. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's hard. I don't know what it is about having a house. Maybe it's that our homes are so big here. Um, in North America because quite frankly they fit a lot of stuff but just because the, it fits doesn't mean we should have it or mm-hmm. that it will add to our lives mm. and so so that's kind of the challenge that we're working through right now so we're trying to um, pare down our wardrobes again now that we've unpacked all the clothes that we left behind and you know I'm trying to make sure that my kitchen is really just simple and only has the things that I actually use on a regular basis and uh, I don't know. It, it is hard and I, I wish I could say that I had an answer for how I'm going to, um, to keep it you know, more minimal and simple. Um, I, think, I think for me, the biggest thing is just constantly asking myself, do I need this? Is this adding um, to my life? Is it worth having around? Yeah.
1: And it's, it's not so much, oh, things that you, well, it's more things that you want rather than things that you need. And I know in your kitchen, because you do a lot of cooking, you probably, you know, do have to have more in there than you would maybe want to, because it's just, it's just, you know, makes sense when you're, when you're doing all of that cooking, you know, why, why? go out to the well and (laughs) haul your water when you can just turn a tap and there it is you know so i mean that kind of thing but it's not just it's not just the possessions though Mm -hmm. is it um simplicity simplifying your life can be lots of things you know do Mm -hmm. doing more things um instead of being entertained from the outside you know bringing it from within and um I don't know, our children, we always used to have meaningful conversations or we'd go lie and just watch the stars at night and that kind of thing. So, you know, that goes hand in hand, I think, with simplifying your life.
2: Yeah, I agree. And
1: uh,
2: one thing that we learned uh, about our children on this trip is that they really don't need so many things to to entertain them. Um, They... I guess what the trip did for them, because they really had, you know, so little. All they could have was just a handful of very, very small toys. They had hardly anything. And they just flexed their creative muscles. They learned to create something out of nothing. They could make any space into a play area, and anything that they found outdoors could become a toy, could become something imaginative. And I loved that. I really love seeing them blossom in that way that... Um, you know, we're working on landscaping Mm -hmm. our our front yard right now. And I've bought um, a whole bunch of bricks that are going to make the perimeter of our garden beds in the front to make it look pretty. And I hadn't put them in the garden beds yet. They were just sitting there. And my kids spent oh, probably four hours yesterday playing together with a friend, building those bricks into different formations. That's all they did Mm -hmm. for four hours. They just kept building something. They'd play with it for a few minutes and then they'd take it down and they'd build something else. And I was like, Who would have thought a pile of bricks?
1: (laughs) I know. I know. My children's favorite thing to do was go out in the backyard and make what they called super larder, which was just a bucket full of earth with water slowly (laughs) added to it. And they would stir it and add in leaves and add in twigs. And oh, Mm -hmm. they would literally, they would spend hours out there doing that in different places digging holes and seeing if the effect was the same really we didn't and I I was not one of those people to cart a load of toys wherever I went I just the children and I off we went and you know they they just made do with what was at the other end whatever it was so we didn't take all their toys with them but I noticed Spider-Man traveled with you
2: Spider man did travel with us. There was a few <laughs> a few special little people who traveled with us and I think it's good for kids to you know to have some special things i'm definitely not advocating for not having any toys we're not going to go throw out everything tomorrow but um but just realizing that uh, they definitely it's not necessary mm-hmm. to have nearly nearly so much as what society um, would suggest is sort of normal or necessary for a child, and also just that. Uh, play outdoors, time in nature, Mm -hmm. I think is one of the best things of of all and far better than playing inside with any toy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And your children all can play together. They didn't need other children around them to be able to, you know, they they could interact with each other. Did they do that a lot more?
2: They did. Um, It was hard for them at first. They did really miss their friends. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think over the year, they definitely learned how to play better with one another and that doesn't mean that they didn't still have uh sibling squabbles because that you know that always is going to happen but um but i think they learned that they could be playmates and that they could really enjoy one another's company and uh they could do things together and so yeah so that's been nice to see they definitely were each other's best friends and
1: i think that's carried over coming home so for the whole year stephanie there must have been moments when you went, oh, I want to go home right now. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. sure everybody felt that, but you, I'm talking to you. So um, you, you described it as um, bringing you to the end of yourself. You said you know that the, there's going to be plenty of times during the trip that will bring you to the end of yourself. So tell yeah. us tell us one time or two times or whatever <laughs> when that happened. Um you know there was a couple of points
2: um, in China I think I felt it particularly particularly and it didn't really have anything to do with China it had to do with me but I had become very ill in India okay. um, which is normal um, a lot of people get sick when they um, go to India or someplace like that just because of you know the food sanitation and stuff like that so mm-hmm. I was very ill in India and when we got to China, it still wasn't going away. It kept recurring and coming back, even though the food in China was mostly cleaner and safer than what we ate in India. And that was very discouraging to me. And then the fact that we'd been traveling in hot climates for so long, um, which we really enjoyed and most of our clothing suited hot climates. And then we got to China in early December and we were freezing and we did not have the right clothes, but we couldn't really just all go out and buy boots and parkas and um so we had to make do by buying just a couple of extra long sleeve shirts buying hats and scarves and gloves for everybody and then layering everything up and to be honest we were still really cold and it made it really frustrating to try to go sightseeing because we'd be so cold that we would give up Um, you know we'd go out for a few hours and kept trying to like find warm places to go to and then anything that was outdoors, you know, we wanted to go see the markets in China. We wanted to go see some of the parks in Beijing and we just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So that was discouraging. between that and the being sick. Um, and you know, at that point we'd been on the road for, oh, 10 months, I guess. Mm-hmm. I definitely was wearing thin. And, um, I remember a couple of times I would, I would be so discouraged that I would say to Ryan, Is this even worth it? I don't even know why we did this. And he would look at me like, are you crazy? (laughs) Of course this is worth it. Like, think about everything that we've done. And I knew in my head logically that it it really was worth it. But I also knew that I was tired and I was tired of being sick and I was tired of being cold and I was tired of living out of a backpack. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's inevitable when you have any kind of a long journey like that. There are going to be uncomfortable times and, um, times when you just want to go home, when you just want those creature comforts back again. And, and so, so I had a few times like that throughout the trip
1: so when I felt that. Did it get better once you left China and got warm? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, not even before we left China, um, we went down south and, um, it was a little bit warmer there. And so we weren't quite so cold, oh. although they don't have central heating there at all. Once you get below a certain, um, long uh, attitude and so we were you know we were still really cold down there but um but we had christmas together and then we went to um a part of the countryside we got out of the city and it was really beautiful and i started to feel a little bit better um physically and you know just a few things changing sometimes it only takes a few small things to get better in your circumstances and then you're like Oh, okay, this isn't so overwhelming. I can do this. I can enjoy this again. And so for me, you know, it did it did turn and I I did actually really enjoy the rest of our trip. After that, I think we still had about another month or month and a half. And um yeah, I, I did get back to it. But I you know, I definitely don't want to make it like the whole trip was just no. perfect and blissful and mm-hmm. we never had any hard times or we never wished for home because we definitely did.
1: And so, uh, during this time, your husband was obviously your main supporter and helped uh-huh. you through this time. So, uh, how did your marriage change while you were together during this, this year? Did it, did it change? Uh, do you feel you're closer? What did you learn about your marriage?
2: Yeah, it definitely changed. One thing that we learned is that going on a trip like this, where you do become as you said, like each other's sole support. We were each other's main friends. We had, we could contact people back home, but we had very little contact with other adults that we could really lean on or depend on in any way. And that puts a lot of pressure on a marriage and just the stress of travel and the culture shock and all of it. Um, what it does is it really brings up whatever was already in you so any kind of you know small things that were in the relationship that were struggles get magnified and so we really experienced a lot of that in the early part of our trip and that was hard we had more conflict than usual and more tension and um, and yet we only had each other and so what we had to work through that because we couldn't really escape each other or escape the conflict that we were facing so all we could do was lean into it and it forced us to I guess, work on our relationship um, at a greater depth, maybe, than we have before. We had to really confront the issues head on. And and what happened in the second half of our trip was that we really came out stronger mm. for it. So I feel like our relationship did change. And a lot of it was really laid bare by everything just bubbling up to the surface. Um, but I think that we love and appreciate each other more and our friendship has grown stronger. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with um, some of the changes that came out of that time.
1: And carry on working through them. Carry on working on your relationship through your... I mean, because you've got that now behind you, that travel behind you, and you've learned some valuable lessons. How is it helping you just in now settled back into... I can't say ordinary life again but you know you can we we can call it ordinary life it is for us yeah 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 (laughs)
2: um yeah I you know I think it just gives me confidence knowing that we were able to work through those things when they got really really hard that um we can keep going we can keep working through the struggles of everyday life here now that we're back and it's hard still because re-entry You know, when you've been gone for a long time in different cultures, um, there's definitely like a a phenomenon of um, of a re-entry process, a reverse culture shock, and so we've been going through that the last couple of months, and and that's hard again, and it puts a toll on us. But um, we understand each other because we're both going through some of the same things, so (laughs) we've really learned that we can be that support for one another. So we're just going to keep. Keep working through things, and and isn't that what marriage is all about? That I mean, is, that's you spend your whole lives doing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, final question: When you started out on your trip, did you have a vacation mentality? <laughs>
2: <laughs> mm. No, I mean, I think I did it in the very beginning because we were leaving during the winter and heading off to a hot country, and I yeah. was like,
1: oh, yeah,
2: oh, I'm so excited, but no i don't think there was a vacation mentality because we knew that we were going to be working mm-hmm. the whole year mm-hmm. and um, and also the the work um, just the the sheer amount of work that it takes to plan a trip like that for so many weeks uh, for a family of six I mean it's just a really really big job mm-hmm. so um so I think that we went into it knowing that um, it wasn't really going to be like a vacation it was still going to be work it was more that we were choosing to live our lives in these different places. Okay, So, I mean, we definitely had times when, you know, we would try to take a little bit of time off of work or, you know, have a few days where it it was sort of like a vacation. But um, by and large, the year for us was more about just doing our everyday lives in these incredible places um and just trying to understand the cultures you know do our grocery shopping learn to you know speak phrases in the language see how the locals live um and then of course we still got to appreciate the benefits of sightseeing but um it was more about the the daily experience i think
1: yeah yeah well and you're writing about it you're writing a book tell us about that
2: i am um yeah i'm i'm actually just working on the proposal right now mm-hmm. but um i'm writing a book that will be it's sort of a, a manifesto for um, family travel. So it will be part um, the whys behind travel as a family, the inspiration for it. Um, it will also be part memoir, and I'm going to share a lot of the stories of our trip. And um, then it will also include a lot of the practical how-tos, the preparation for the trip, um, the challenges of traveling with small children, homeschooling on the road, what to pack, health issues, all of that. So it's really meant to be um, a guidebook. For, um, for families that are interested in pursuing, um, it, you know, not necessarily a year of travel, but any sort of um, longer-term travel or travel to um, different countries. Um, but, yeah, it's really meant to be encouraging and, and a helpful resource for families.
1: Okay, and so you say that you're going to put in your s- stories. Did you keep up with um, – did you write a journal? Did you uh, type a journal? How did you do that? How did you keep up with your day-to-day?
2: Um, I did a mixture of uh, things. One of the things that I did was I sort of used Facebook, like my journal, um, just my private Facebook page with all of my friends and family, but they really wanted to know how we were and where we were and what we were doing. So... uh, usually every day I would write something and I would often write really long updates and just share about, um, a story that happened that day or how we were feeling or that we were sick or that we'd gotten lost or a victory that we'd had and, you know, mastering something in a language or whatever it was. But that was really just my, um, day by day record of the trip. But I also kept, uh, a journal on my computer and I also kept a, um, a small notebook in my backpack so that when we were out somewhere, if something just really struck me and I wanted to remember it, I would, you know, suddenly be scribbling down notes. So I have kind of a combination of things that I'm I'm pulling from as I write. Mm-hmm.
1: And you have a website about your travels. Tell us about that.
2: We do. It's it's called entrefamily, E-N-T-R-E family.com and the travel site is uh, slash travels, forward slash travels. Um, but I will admit that I did not keep it up. And one of the, I started it with the great intention of keeping it up throughout our, our entire trip. But the realities of working on the road, homeschooling on the road, and just the um, the work that it takes to, to be in a different culture with kids and um, just do daily life. It was a little bit too much for me with my other work. Mm-hmm. And so I did stop writing after about three months. And I'm planning to start writing again now to go back mm-hmm. and tell our stories and to share our travel tips now that we're home and to share what we've Learned, But what I realized in the midst of the trip was um, I was putting pressure on myself to maintain the blog and I really just needed to experience the trip and just be all there to be present uh, rather than feeling so much pressure to tell everybody else about it.
1: Yeah. And you got the book as well, that you're going to be writing. So
2: That's right. So the blog is sort of um, helping me to work through a lot of the things that I'll be talking about in the book. So I'm going to begin to share more regularly on that blog.
1: Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, you've got Keeper of the Home, which is your main um, blog. Um, It's a website, really. Uh, I don't find, I don't see you a lot on there. You have a lot of guest contributors.
2: Yeah, it's really become more of an Mm e-magazine over the years. and, And I like that because... We talk a lot about natural and healthy living, and of course, there's a lot of things that I know that I've learned, my experience, my research, um, but I really like having my guests actually because they have such a wealth of knowledge. You know, we might have somebody who's really amazing at gardening. We have another girl who is so good at making um, homemade uh, beauty products and, you know, things like that. So I yes. appreciate uh, the, the different knowledge that they bring.
1: Yeah. Well, Stephanie, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for joining me and um, chatting to me this afternoon. And I want to keep up and find out how your book's going.
2: Oh, Well, thank you so much for having me. It was really wonderful. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.
0: How do you handle toddlers, teens and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, The Sociable Homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these.
1: Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Here, come on. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
0: Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I was
1: talking to Stephanie Langford, who told us some interesting stories about her 54 weeks of traveling around the world with her husband, Ryan, and their four children. Stephanie and I last spoke while she was in China on January the 3rd of this year so you can go and listen to more of her on my podcast at the sociable homeschooler i also have her keeper of the home blog linked on my site and on my tokenet page so go see what she's all about Stephanie views the world through christian eyes and is an absolute delight to listen to she's the author of three books Healthy Homemaking One Step at a Time Real Food on a Real Budget How to Eat Healthy for Less and Planet Don't Panic, a complete meal planning resource. I was first drawn to Stephanie's tinctures and use of essential oils and herbs when I read about her medicine kit on one of my homeschooling friends' website. Renee Tugar, who is through hiking the Appalachian Trail, is a fan of some of these natural remedies, and so am I, I think. Stephanie started collecting and using herbs a few years ago and has gradually built up her supply and her knowledge. So don't get overwhelmed thinking you have to have a large variety this minute and be adept at brewing and blending. As with everything, take it one step at a time. Since we didn't talk about herbs, I'm going to mention a few she lists on her Keeper of the Home website. I'll also link her post about what is in her travel heavy enough to sink a ship medicine kit. So, what's so great about herbs? I personally love to eat them. When added to my salads, I feel healthy and wild. I get back to my hunter-gatherer roots. Stephanie writes about these timeless plants that have been used by various healers over thousands of years in order to treat symptoms, ease discomfort, improve mood or mental function, fight infection, and so much more. Stephanie appreciates herbs as a gentle healing gift from God. The more she studies the plants in creation and the medicinal properties that they have, the more she's in awe of the one who made them and gave them to us. I think with a great deal of patience and wisdom, we can benefit from knowing the value of what grows around us. We already know about the benefits of eating simply, avoiding processed foods, cutting out refined sugars and junk, so why not add herbs to our diets? In England, I discovered a large variety of leafy greens I could buy at the supermarket and enjoyed adding basil and mint, parsley and rosemary for flavour and aroma. Even growing our own herbs is a very feasible option and I love having plants on my kitchen windowsill careful of the ones outside though my dogs may have lifted a leg on stephanie's site she qualifies that she's not a herbalist at present she says i'm simply a woman who enjoys studying and learning about the history and practical uses of herbs for use within our own family here here so let's take a look at just a few of the herbs she does use and what she does with them remember this is all amateur work stephanie stresses she's not a medicinal professional We've all heard of chamomile, since we can buy it already blended in a tea bag to relax us. I'd share a cup of chamomile tea with my children to relax them. I wasn't quite sure whether it was the herb working its magic or just the ritual of boiling water, steeping the tea and then sitting companionably at the table, sipping its loveliness and having quiet conversation. Whatever it was, it worked every time. Those sick and weary children were soon asleep for the night. Comfrey is Stephanie's herb of choice when there's a need for external healing. She makes poultices with comfrey to place on strained or swollen muscles, on scraped knees, on cuts and rashes, etc. Basically, any need for skin or tissue healing. It's also great in baths for soaking in, depending on where the injury or need for healing is. She also adds it to The oat and clay bars that her children soaked in while they had chicken pox to help encourage faster healing of the sores dandelion ah, lots of those around my garden and really you can harvest these and use the leaves which are mildly detoxifying and strengthening for the liver and if you can snag the root my mother used to use a little knife to dig around her weeds and pull them out completely so they wouldn't grow back so much the better use the root in teas for more potent cleansing or detoxification in england we make dandelion wine good to drink and good for you Red raspberry leaf is wonderful as a tea for women. It's well known as a uterine toner and contains high amounts of vitamin C. Talking of vitamin C, parsley contains high high quantities too. And I have to be careful when eating it because it is a diuretic. And boy, is it ever? Anyway, back to red raspberry leaf. It can be used in a woman's tea during any season of life, but is particularly helpful during pregnancy to prepare the uterus for labor and birth and help to reduce the possibility of complications like hemorrhage. Stephanie says she uses it conservatively, starting with small amounts in her tea during second trimester and upping it to several cups a day during the third trimester. It's also wonderful in lactation tea after birth and ginger how i love ginger cake but not so keen on ginger snaps i can eat it pickled with sushi and i enjoy it in my homemade indian curries this is a perfect warming winter herb One of Stephanie's favourite ways to use powdered ginger is in a hot bath when she's feeling fluish or has fever and chills. It warms the body and helps to bring down a temperature and she finds it helps her to relax enough to sleep better when she's sick. It can be added to warm honey, lemon and chamomile teas for colds or flus as it helps to increase circulation which in turn encourages a faster recovery. It's also good for decongestion, especially when you have a stuffed up nose during a cold. Go ginger! How about a slice of ginger cake with a hot cup of tea? Mmm, pure bliss. And nettles. Now we have a lot of stinging nettles in England and one of the herbal teas I bought for my cowboys and my morning drink was nettle, which he said tasted very earthy. I loved it because I felt so back to nature as if I was drinking something pure with no preservatives. It wasn't my gentleman's favourite. Stephanie says she uses nettles for their nutrient density. They're bursting with many vitamins and minerals Who would have thought those plants we avoid at all costs because of their stinging quality are packed full of goodness? And oops, here we go. It's the end of my show for another week the florida breeze blowing through my office windows quite refreshing we're going to do some exploring this weekend and may even take a trip to the beach how fun that we're so close and we may even give the dogs a treat and let them hop in the jeep with us thank you for listening to the sociable homeschooler i'm your host vivian mcninney and i'll be back same time same place next week without further ado i'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight our four children who are the result of that belief the hard-working staff at Toginet radio my producer Sabrina, my guest this week Stephanie Langford, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned to Toginet all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop 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 doop
0: Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenney on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who are willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com.